Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. You, just, you almost hate to stop that, don't you? Amen. Uh, I know how the story ends. How many of you are glad of that tonight? No surprises in the story. We know how it ends. And what a great truth to know that one day we'll, we'll be with him again. I love the message of that last song, the first one as well, but especially the last one when he says... I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. Now, notice that um, fighting a battle that he's already won is not necessarily a bad thing because there's going to be some struggles along the way home, right? On the journey home, there's going to be opposition, and we're going to look a little bit more into that tonight. But because there's opposition, there's still going to be some battling that goes on. But the message of that song and the Word of God is this. The battle has already been won, so we don't have to fight with fear. Uh, we can fight from a place of, of, of faith and victory and know that as we battle each day, that fight the good fight is what, is what Paul called it. We can fight it with confidence, not in ourselves, but in the God that has redeemed us and is with us. So that's the promise, right? He is, in fact, with us. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's waste no more time, okay? Not that we have. Second Chronicles chapter number 32. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Y'all okay? Hey, listen, I, uh, I, this morning I said, you know, uh, Father's Day evening, you know, it may not be. A, look at how many of you guys showed up out in the middle of nowhere. And I know we have a lot of guests with us. Maybe your gathering's not having a gathering tonight. And listen, we don't look down on anybody for that. We're just glad you're here. And uh, we're not in any kind of competition. We're not trying to steal folk. We just want to get in the Word of God tonight with whoever wants to get in it with us. And so that's what we're going to do, 2 Chronicles chapter 32. And good night. We're going to read like. 26 verses together. Can you believe that? What kind of person breaks all these preaching rules and reads all these verses with people? I don't know. All right, so here we go. 2 Chronicles 32. I want to invite you, if you would, in honor of reading God's Word, would you stand to your feet and let's read through what's going to happen between King Hezekiah and a man by the name of Sennacherib and the people of God. And we're going to talk a little bit more about staying, and the title of our message is Staying in the Good Fight in the Face of Opposition. All right, staying in the good fight in the face of opposition. Did you know that this life is going to be filled with opposition? Yes, there is an enemy who opposes every work of God for the purpose of striving to keep God from receiving glory from humanity and our fallenness, living out the good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. Uh, in other words, the glory God gets out of our redeemed lives. He wants to keep me and you. He can't keep us from being saved. He can't keep us, uh, take our salvation from us. So what he wants to do to the people of God is oppose us so much that we get frustrated, throw in the towel, sit down, shut up, and just at best go to church and, p- and sing our favorite songs and never really fight the good fight. So tonight I want to preach a challenge to you if I could and uh, remind you that we are in a good fight and that we need to keep fighting, okay? So staying in the good fight in the face of opposition. Let's begin here in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 32, beginning in verse number 1. Now, again, Old Testament, Old Covenant, way before the coming of Christ, God's leading his people now through the king called Hezekiah, all right? So let's read. After these deeds of faithfulness, by who? Hezekiah. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. He was going to take him some more land. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which are outside the city, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs in the brook that ran through the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Let's cut the water off. Remember what we talked about? You have to supply. You have to have supplies to win the battle, all right? Uh, Verse number 5. And he strengthened himself, built up the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the Milo and the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. Then he sent military captains over the people gathering them together to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them encouragement. So he got them together. Here's the encouragement he gave them. We looked at it this morning. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Remember, dismayed means anxious. Before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. There are a whole lot of them, but don't be dismayed and don't be afraid. For there are more with us than... Sound like something you heard this morning, right? And so verse 8, and with him is an army of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. Remember the one promise that changes everything. 
to help us. What's God with us for? To help us and to fight our, uh-oh, and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. After this, an actor of king of Assyria sent his messengers to Jerusalem. But he and all the forces with him laid siege against Lachish to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all Judah who were in Jerusalem. This is what they said. Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, In what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Jude in Jerusalem, saying, You shall all worship one altar and burn incense on it? Do you not know that I, now this is, this is Sennacherib speaking, king of Assyria, do you not know that I and my fathers have done to all the people of all the other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of the nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand? that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this, and do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Furthermore, his servants spoke against the Lord God. Now, that's big boy talk right there. Now, remember I said that because we're going to come back and hear how big boy talk works when you're big boy talking against the God of heaven and earth. Uh, verse number 16, furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him. So you understand there's a big propaganda campaign. He's speaking against him. He's sending services, speaking against him. He's writing letters, speaking against him. It's the uh, same tactic today, propaganda, all right, using media techniques, different media techniques, but media te techniques nonetheless. Verse 17, as the God, this is what the letter said. As the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the peoples of the earth, the work of men's hands. Now, because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. Then the Lord sent an angel. Now, let's see how big boy talks when you go against God. Now, notice that God only sends what? And the angel. Now, do you know what and connotates? One. One angel against the big boy talk and big boy army and big boy tactics and big boy all this stuff. Well, let's see what, how that works out. Then the Lord sent an angel, one, who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Syria. So he returned. Here's the word. Say it with me. Shame-faced. You ever been shame-faced? Y'all know what I'm talking about? When you're just so ashamed, your face droops down on the floor, you don't have anything to say, you're speechless, you're sh shamefaced to his own land. Uh, you had heard it said this way in the South, tuck tail and run. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring killed him, struck him down with a sword and killed him there. Some of his own kids. There's a Father's Day tribute. Verse 22, thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all the nations thereafter. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. And Hezekiah did not repay. Now, verse, first of all, between verse 24 and 25, let me give you a little Bible tribute. you know how many years that God extended his life? 15 years. So he prayed and God extended his life 15 years, verse 25. But Hezekiah did not repay, uh-oh, according to the favor shown him. Now, who showed him the favor and extended his life? God did. God did. For his heart was lifted up. Pride. Remember this. Pride is sin. Any pride is sin. Certainly doesn't connotate a parade. Pride is sin. Pride in anything is sin. All right, so he says, shown him and his heart was lifted up therefore wrath was looming over him and over judah and jerusalem imagine the wrath of god looming over you then hezekiah thanks be to god for verse 26 then hezekiah what did he do humbled himself told you it was pride for the pride of his heart he and the inhabitants of jerusalem so that the wrath of the lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. That turned out good, didn't it? He was a little nervous, wasn't you, as you're reading through there. All right, let's take just a moment and pause for a word of prayer, and then we're going to investigate a little detail into what happened here so long ago. Father, we thank you this evening for the gathering of the saints. 
Uh, Lord, it's so good to see people on Father's Day evening uh, not say, well, I'm just going to take this one off, but instead to say, I have opportunity to grow in my faith, and I want to be with the people of God. And above all fathers, you are the high king of heaven, our heavenly father, and we honor you today. And God, I pray that you would speak through me and speak to me. God, I pray that you'd help me preach, but also preach to me all at the same time. And as you do that, do that for all of us. As you preach through me and to me, preach to and, and every individual who's within the sound of my voice. And God, I thank you that your spirit and your word have the power to transform us by the renewing of our minds. So renew our minds tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's rewind. Y'all okay with that? See how quickly we read through those verses? Y'all didn't even get tired or bored. See, statistics, they say that you don't have attention spans and you won't stand and you won't read. But look at you. You went right through that like there was nothing to it, right? Some of y'all looking like, don't read that many verses again. So here we go. Let's rewind back to the beginning. Remember the title of the message, Staying in the Good Fight in the Face of Opposition. Who's in the good fight? The characters of our, of our historical account tonight are Hezekiah and the people of Judah and, and Israel, right, it's in Jerusalem. So I want you to think about they are challenged to stay in the good fight, but there's going to be some challenges to stay in the good fight, okay? So Roman number one in your notes, and we're going to look at three. There are three Roman numerals. Roman number one has got a list of four, and you'll understand as we go along. Roman numeral one is going to cover verses one through verse 19 in your notes, okay? So jot this down. Here it is. The enemy is relentless to oppose the people of God. Did you know that? The enemy is relentless to oppose the people of God. Have you already experienced that in your life? Say amen. Uh, you, you, you ever feel like, uh, man, I've sort of got a, I'm sort of in a groove. You ever, you ever feel like I'm sort of in a good groove here and things are going well? You know, marriage is going well and finance is going well and, and you sort of get in a groove and, and, and any of you ever just say, you know, I wonder where it's coming from. <laughs> if you're like me, I'm looking on every side and I know there's attack coming and, I, and you begin to wonder to yourself, wonder where it's going to come from. Because, because here in this life, until he puts a final end to, to, uh, to evil, uh, there's going to be opposition. There just is. And remember, this morning we found that, that opposition is actually for our benefit. If it comes to us, if it comes over the mountain range of God, Psalm 125, 2, then we know it is for our benefit. It's to strengthen us. It's to challenge us. It's to draw us near to the Lord, okay, and uh, help us to have grace for each other. Now, as I talk about the enemy's relentless to oppose the people of God, verses 1 through 19 is where we see Hezekiah doing some things in the first part. He's building the walls. He's cutting off the water supply. He's doing some things that he can do, okay? And then there's going to be the opposition of the enemy. So let's talk about that first. Number one in your list of four, four things I want us to notice in the, this one truth, that enemy is relentless to oppose the people of God. Number one, write one word down. The word is fortify. Fortify. Write down the word fortify. And so in verses two through six, and out to the side of little number one, write verses two through six, fortify. Now, what does the word fortify mean? It means to strengthen and secure. It means to give courage and endurance, to fortify. So uh, this means in my life, if I know there's opposition out there, I need to fortify my relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense to you? I need to strengthen that. You say, well, wait a minute now. Uh, are you talking about trying harder? No, no, no. I'm talking about the things that are in my uh, care, my responsibility, uh, I'm going to do. In other words, if I know it makes me stronger to meet at the feet of Jesus, I'm going to set my alarm this week a little early, and I'm going to make certain that every day, the beginning of the day, I'm going to fortify my faith at the feet of Jesus in his word. Does that make sense to anybody in the room? Would any of you agree that when you get consistent in the word each morning, your faith grows? Raise your hand if you have found that to be true. And the opposite is true. If you stay out of that, if you don't fortify that, if you just sort of let that go and you do it here and there, would you also agree that your faith is directly tied to that and it will weaken when you don't do that? Raise your hand if you understand that, you've experienced that. So there is a truth that a child can understand. If I come to the table and feed on the word and meet with Jesus, then my faith is going to be stronger. If I back away from that and just get busy with life and get a few hours extra in at the gym or get a few hours in extra of working, uh, what I can know is my faith is going to weaken. Okay, are we there? So, Number one, because I know there is a battle every day. I know that the enemy is opposing my family, my children, my grandchildren. He's opposing everything good in my life. I need to fortify my relationship with the Lord by making sure I'm spending time at the feet of Jesus, that I'm in, here's another one, that I'm in constant prayer. 
How can I fortify my relationship? I'm talking to him constantly. In my head, out loud, uh, you may walk up on me sometimes and think I'm talking to somebody in the office or whatever, and I am, uh, but it's not as somebody maybe you can see your eye, put your eyes on. Sometimes I'm talking to him inside. Sometimes I'm talking to him outside. Sometimes somebody will be talking to me real time, and I'm listening, and at the same time, I'm praying because I have no idea what to say next, and I have no idea what to, how, to, how to help them, and I'm constantly saying, okay, God, you got to give me something. I got nothing, <laughs> and it's a constant talking with God, and that fort, it's like, so, so what Hezekiah does, he builds these walls. And, and he does what he can do. But you and I, building a wall wouldn't, wouldn't help me and you. If you go out to the end of your property and build a wall, that's not going to help you in your daily battle against sin and Satan. But if you will spend time building a wall of strength in your life by uh, spending time in the Word of God every morning and in prayer, I'm telling you, it will fortify you as the attacks come. Okay, let me move on. So we see, in, without going back and reading them, verses 2 through 6 is what, is what Hezekiah is doing in his power to fortify the area, okay, to give them uh, strength in areas that he can. All right, second thing I want you to notice in this enemy and his relentless opposition to the people of God, we should fortify. Number two, in verses 7 and 8, we need to remember who is with us, right? We need to remember who is with you. So, so I'm telling you, it seems like I've been driving this point home the last three weeks uh, every time I'm talking to somebody, and that is there's this one promise that changes everything. And, and, and here's, listen, the power of the promise resides in the faith of the individual walking in the promise. Does that make sense to you? What, what I'm saying is if I have the promise but I don't believe the promise, guess what? I'm not going to experience the power of that promise. If I believe the lie of the enemy, then I'm going to operate based on the lie. And the lie will cause me to panic. And I'll fool around and put some cornbread on top of some roast beef and find myself in a very bad situation. You all know what I'm talking about. Uh, things get bad quick when we panic. So let's look, if you will, verses 7 and 8. So he's done fortified and he's done some things. He's gotten the people together in verse 7. And he gives them a challenge, an encouraging word. And by the way, uh, that's another thing we can do, you and I, in the fight, is to encourage one another. Speak words of encouragement, challenge, and call each other up. Don't beat each other up, but call each other up. There's a big difference. There's a big difference in calling each other up and beating each other up. Beating each other up is talking negative and slandering and pointing everything that's wrong. Calling up says, come on, this is what God desires. This is what's going to be good for us. And we call each other up, okay? So as he does this in verse 7, track with me in verse 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed before the king of Assyria nor before all the multitude that's with him. Now, there, he's, saying, he's saying, I understand that the king of Assyria is a bad dude, and I understand that he's got a lot of people with him, all the people with him, but don't you be afraid of them. Don't you be anxious, okay, when you, when you see them and you hear of their threats. Verse 8, because, listen to what he says, the end of verse 7, uh, all the multitude that's with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an army of flesh. Now, don't, he's saying, now listen, don't, I'm not playing stupid. I know you can do math. <laughs> he's saying, I, I know you can count, and if you're counting bodies, they got a whole lot more bodies. And if you're counting the strength of man, they got a whole lot more men, a whole lot stronger, valiant men. I mean, they've got a fighting force out of this world. They got it. But what they don't have is the favor of God. What they don't have is the presence of God fighting for them. What they don't have is the provision and protection of God. And by the way, that settles everything. That's the end of the message, if, 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 if you will. So verse 8, with him is an army of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. And then and listen after the comma. Listen after the comma. To help us and to fight our battles. Uh, I'm so thankful that God is not just with me uh, to check off everything that I'm doing wrong. Now, sometimes our idea of God can be skewed, can it? And we get this idea of God that's judging our, what we're wearing, and we're getting this idea of, of God that's judging how we pray, and we don't pray good, he don't want to hear from us, and we got to pray like, you know, I don't know what that means. Praying good is, is talking to God, right? It's, it's praying, it's talking to you. And we have all these ideas about, about God, and, and what he's saying here is for us to understand that he's with us, and the reason that he's with us is to help us. Boy, that's good, isn't it? What if it was the other way around? What if God was with us to do nothing but correct us? Isn't that fun? Um, and so he's with us to help us. Now, will he correct us? Yes. But he'll also encourage us, and he'll also point us in the right direction. So with him is an arm of, army of flesh, this king of Assyria, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. What is he saying? You guys, if we're going to fight this fight, if we're going to stay in the good fight, you've got to remember who's on our side. 
If you're going to stay in the fight on this Monday and Tuesday of this week and have many days God gives us here in this life, if you're going to stay in the marriage, if you're going to stay in the parenting, by the way, you can't quit. Uh, you can, but, you know, they're still your kids. And so if we're going to stay in the good fight, if we're going to keep pressing on holding the line against culture who's trying to blur the lines, matter of fact, blow the lines up, uh, you and I have got to be in this place where we remember who is with us. And it doesn't matter who's against us because of who is with us. In that song, we sing about the fact that I'm fighting a battle that you've already run. And listen, one line says this, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. And that's true, isn't it? I don't know what God's doing. Do you know what God's doing? Can, can anybody in here come up to the front and let me give you a whiteboard and you diagram out for us exactly what God is doing in every one of our lives through every difficult detail that we're facing? I'm certain that you can't. And so because of that, here's what I want you to see. Um, we, we learn in this journey that the truth of the matter is that he is doing good, but it doesn't always look good, does it? It doesn't always look good. And the rest of the second line of that song says, I don't know what you're doing. Here's what he says, but I know what you've done. And so for me to interpret my circumstances through the current events is wrong. I interpret my circumstances through what he already has done. And if he didn't spare his only son for me, certainly whatever he allows to come across the mountain range of his protection is for my good. But I'm telling you, doggone it, that Adam nature in me won't hardly listen to that. That nature of Adam in me wants to say, if it's hard, it can't be good. <laughs> if it's difficult, it can't be good. And and yet, the truth of the matter is, I know what he's already done. And because of that, how will, he, how will he not also give us everything needed for life and godliness? And so he's not spared his only son. We need to remember who is with us. Amen. This week, when you get challenged, I pray you'd remember who's with you. And when the enemy opposes you, I pray that you would remember who is with you. And you'd be reminded and you'd fortify. You'd make sure that you're staying close to Jesus. Remember, drawing near, that's the place of strength. And the third thing I want you to see is in verses 9 through 19, Okay. And I want you to write this in your notes there for number three. Ignore the lies that tempt us to doubt. Now, that's hard, isn't it? Because he whispers and he whispers and he whispers and he whispers and he whispers some more. And then he allows our eyes to see some things and our nature within us begins to wonder. And then he whispers some more and he whispers some more. Remember this morning we talked about the fact that Jesus said he's the father of lies. And because he is the father of lies, he is really good at it. He's really good. Matter of fact, I'm certain that he has lied to everybody in this room within the sound of my voice, and at some point, every single one of us has bought the lie in some capacity, right? And so tonight, I want you to see that we're supposed to ignore those lies, those temptations, okay, to doubt. What does he want us to do? Doubt God. He wants us to doubt God. It's the same game he's been playing since the temptation and fall of man in the Garden of Eden, beginning in verse 9. Just look back quickly through there with me. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. So he goes to him and he begins to talk to the people. He sends some people ahead. Instead of just fighting, instead of just going, pulling swords and going to fighting, he goes in and begins to whisper questions that will cause the people to do what? Doubt. That's the whole point. If we can get them to doubt, they won't stand firm. If we can get them to doubt, they won't. Listen, if you're doubting, if you're doubting who God is and doubting that you're going to see victory, you think you're ever going to make disciples? You think you'll ever take the time to sit down and pour your life into somebody else's life if you don't believe it's true in, in, in essence or that you're going to have victory in this life also or that his presence is with you even when hard things happen or that even when hard things happen, therefore you're good? No, you're going to sit back and just sort of go to church at best. And so listen to what he says in verse 10. Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and what? Do you trust? Isn't that, a, isn't that an interesting question? And I, as I was thinking about that in the last several hours, I, I, in my mind, I've been rolling around. In what do you trust? You, you know when you find out what you trust in when things get hard? It's not when all the bills are paid and your help, you know, you do your yearly health thing and everything checks out. That's not when you find out who your trust is in. You find out who your trust is in when, when you find out that maybe the, 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 the money you've been saving in your retirement is not what it used to be. And when you find out that the doctor says, here's the new diagnosis, and you'll find out, listen, you and I find out what we trust in when we're challenged. And that's what Sennacherib was doing. He said, I'm about to, what I'm going to do is challenge the foundation of who they're trusting. Because if I can doubt who they're trusting, it's going to change how they operate. Y'all get that? If he can change who we trust in, it'll change how we operate. And the sad truth is that most of the time, what we do is we trust in ourselves. 
The reason I worry and get anxious, the reason you do the same is because when we're faced with something difficult, we look to ourselves to provide the necessary resources to win, and we don't have them. You guys, listen, in our own strength, in our own mental capacity, we don't have the resources for victory. Only God does. Only God does. So look back with me, ask the question, and what do you trust? Can you see that? Hey, let me ask you. Can you see and get everybody together? Hey, hey what, are you, what are you trusting in here? Now, you've got to think about it. He says, we're about to seed you and cut off the water supply and cut off your food supply, and you're, you're trusting in Hezekiah who says he's led by God. And so let me ask you people, who do you trust in? You trust Hezekiah? You think he's really a man of God? You think he really walks with God? Because you're about to put your life on the line based on what he's telling you. Now, look out right now. You're starting to scratch your head. Ask yourself the question, how would you respond if the man of God said, this is what God said, and this is what we're going to do, and it may cost us our lives, but now then the enemy comes and says, well, all you got to do is change your mind. You can save your life and save your kids' lives and save your family's lives, and if you don't, everybody's going to die, just like the other nations that we've killed. And by the way, Sennacherib had some facts to back up his threats. He says, check your, check your history and see about all the lands and the nations that we've demolished. They all had gods too. They all had gods, little g. They all had gods of their imagination. And his, his question begins to be, who do you trust in? Do you think if their gods couldn't save them, you think your God can save you? And the enemy continues to peck away. Uh, Billy Graham says, like a woodpecker, he just keeps on hitting his head against the, uh, our bodies and our lives until he finds the weak spot. And boy, he'll hammer us down with, with, with new information, with, with bad news, with hard things. And so what happens next? He asks the question, verse 11, look at 11. Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die? L listen to what he's saying. Oh, you guys are trusting in Hezekiah? Look how that's working out for you. You're about to die. You're trusting this guy, and this guy's about to cause you all to die. Now, I don't know about you guys, but can, you, can you, anybody be honest enough with me to say you'd at least be giving a little thought to what he's saying? Huh? You got your family and your babies to take care of, and you say, well, here, here's what I'll tell you in America, here's what we do. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go with Sennacherib, but God knows my heart. Yeah, God knows it because he tested it with a hard situation, and the hard situation exposed what was really in there. Oh, man. So your heart's not exposed by whether or not you have a bumper sticker or a T-shirt that says, I love Jesus. Your heart's tested when life becomes difficult. And when it becomes difficult to continue to follow Jesus, that's when you know. All right, so let me move on. Some continual things through the all the way through verse 19, he just asks these questions. He says, oh, in verse 11, Hezekiah has told you the Lord your God will deliver us. Has not the same Hezekiah taken away the high places, made you all worship in one spot? Verse 13, do you not know what I, uh-oh, he says, check your history. Check your facts. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Listen to what Sennacherib's saying. I've never lost a fight. Sennacherib is looking at his people with his servants, and, they're say, and he's saying, every nation that I have ever come to like I'm coming to you, I have defeated. Nobody has ever stood up against me and made it. Now, that'd make you think a little different, wouldn't it? Here's what you start doing. You start checking your facts, and you start realizing he's not lying. And he has supporting evidence of all the nations that they have overwhelmed. Okay, let's read a little further along. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver them? They all had gods. How'd that work out for them? We killed them. We, we injured them. We raped them. They, I mean, the stories are horrendous. I'm telling you, if you go in and study some of what the Assyrians did, it will blow your mind. And he said, hey, you're next in line. But all you have to do is compromise. All you have to do is swap teams. All you have to do is just doubt a little bit and come over on this side. You quit the good fight. Stop fighting for righteousness and truth and those things that honor God. Just blend into the culture and you'll win. That's what the lie of the enemy will tell you. Let me read a little further along. Verse 14, who was there among all the gods of those nations with my, who my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand? What makes you think that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, listen to what he says, verse 15. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this. Now he begins to try to reason with them as if he cares for them. You see? Listen, save yourself. Don't let Hezekiah do this to you and your family. Don't you love your children? And Can you hear him here? He's speaking to the men. You're supposed to lead your family. Don't you love your wife and your children? Why, won't you Why would you follow this man and get your family killed? Make yourself be a slave. 
For no God, you reading with me, verse 15, of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand. He's getting a little repetitive here, isn't he? How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Boy, he just got really bold there, didn't he? And I would always say, be careful, be careful, be careful to ever challenge God. And he says, how's your God going to be any different? And then in just a few verses, just a few verses in one angel, just an angel, one angel, an unnamed angel, just one, shows up and we find out the difference between all the little G gods of all those other nations and the big G God who is Yahweh, who is El Shaddai, God Almighty. Amen. Yeah, give him a little praise in the house. Think about it tonight, all right? So watch what takes place. Big boy talk. I'm telling you, remember who is with you. Ignore the lies that tempt us to doubt. And then watch as it goes on. Because he just, I'm not going to read anymore. You, we've read it once. You can read it again. He didn't stop there. He just continues to pour on and pour on and pour on. And I'm going to tell you that listening and reading through that, it would have been, I said, as I was reading through that this afternoon again, I said to myself, it would have been really easy to say, you know what, I, okay, Sennacherib, I'm with you. Because <laughs> I love my wife, and I love my kids and my grandkids, and I don't, you know, I don't want them to have to be slaves and tortured and not, you know. Now, y'all looking at me real funny. Um, but I'm just telling you, it, it would have, I'm not saying I would have. I'm just telling you it would have been easy. Because uh, Sennacherib is pretty convincing. <laughs> and his track record is pretty convincing. Um, you better have an authentic relationship with God because I'm telling you, the lie of the enemy is pretty convincing. And the consequences of resisting the culture and the turn of culture that everything that God says is good is now deemed as bad. And everything that God says is immoral and unrighteous is now celebrated as good. And if you stand against that, you better be ready because I'm telling you, people in your own family will oppose you. So be careful to know that you have an authentic relationship with God, all right, and that that thing plays out as you walk the journey. Finally, number four. So I said there are four things about the enemy's relentless. He's relentless to oppose the people of God. Number one, we need to fortify, strengthen, and secure. Number two, remember who is with us. We are never alone. If it's just us on the battlefield, we are, it's us plus God, and that's a fixed fight, amen? It's fixed in our favor. Number three, we said ignore the lies that tempt us to doubt. What are the, what are the, what's the design of those lies? To doubt uh, the one who's with us. Because if we doubt the one who's with us, we'll operate as if he's not there. And we'll panic. We'll try to come up with our own plan. Or we'll compromise. Okay? So be careful there to ignore. And then number four, found in verse number 20, write this word down, pray. Pray. Because he's opposing me on every side, we should pray, right? We should be a people of continual prayer. You said that already this morning, preacher. I'm going to say it with my last breath here on earth. Verse 20, now because of this, because of what? All the opposition from Sennacherib. All the opposition caused Hezekiah to do what? And Isaiah to do what? Pray and cry out to heaven. They know that they've done what they could do. They've fortified. They've done what they can do. They've, but they know what they need in order to have victory is God to move. They need God to move. And so we're to be a people who pray, who call out to God, who beg God to move and to heal. Remember what I said this morning. <clears throat> the tendency is uh, sometimes for the enemy to twist that and say, well, your only promise is that God is with you. So this, this disease is going to get you. And that's not necessarily the case, amen? And so, again, we balance those that, yes, the promises that God is with us, that's the only guarantee, but at the same time, God can heal diseases, and he still does, amen? And so we have to balance those. And uh, somebody asked me one time, well, how do you, how do you know when to say when? Or how do, I said, man, I pray like David. When he, when he prayed for that child that died, the child that was conceived in sin, he prayed and fasted before the Lord until the child died. You with me? And so for me, I always say pray until God shows you something different, and when he shows you something different, trust Trust him right there and pray in that direction. Amen? And so as we walk the journey, we have to be people of prayer. So remember, the enemy is relentless to oppose the people of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you all been opposed by uh, the enemy right now? Would you slip your hand up if you say that in some ways you're being opposed by the enemy? Uh, how many of you would say that you've been, uh, and this is just a, I just want to ask the group, all right, together while we're here together here tonight. How many would say that you've been opposed in the area of your health? Would you raise your hand if you've been opposed? You feel like you've been opposed by the enemy in the area of your health. All right. How many of you would say that you are being opposed in the area of of your mental capacity, like your thoughts and your attitudes and depression and those kind of things, anxiousness? You're being opposed that way. All right. Uh, how many would say you're being opposed uh, in the area of maybe your family and friends that you feel like they are being used to oppose? And and so, isn't it interesting? And I could go on and on and on. Another group of hands would be raised. And, and why do I know that? Because if we're walking with the Lord, if we're, if we're walking with him, there's going to be opposition. 
And if God allows the opposition, it came for good. And what we have to do is these critical four things we've got to fortify. We have to do that. We have to remember who is with us. We have to ignore the lies that tempt us to doubt that we can never have victory. And number four, we have to be a people who pray. We need to pray continually. Now, there are two more things I want to share with you quickly. In verses 21 to 23, number two, write this in your notes. The Lord provides victory for his people. You said we wrote that earlier today. Yep, you're going to write it again. And probably, if you'll keep coming back, you'll hear that theme from Genesis to Revelation because it's true, and it is the Lord who provides victory for his people. Yes, listen, we'll never be underdogs. It doesn't matter if Assyria and Babylon will never be underdogs, uh, the people of God. Okay, so look in verses 21 to 23. What happens next? They pray, they fortify, they, re- they are, keep their focus that God is with them. They call out to him. Uh, they don't fall to the temptation to doubt God. Instead, they go to God in prayer. If they had doubted God, they wouldn't have prayed. They'd have picked up their swords and just tried their best. But they didn't do that. They prayed. And then what happens next? The Lord provides victory for his people in a fascinating way, don't you think? Uh, 21 to 23. Then the Lord, I love it, because there's all this, <laughs> there's all this noise in verses 9 and down through 19. Would you agree with me? The enemy is very noisy. Uh, we would say this way, his bark is bigger than his bite. Um, and so he, he's, he's noisy, he lies, he's verbal, he, he constantly opposes, but ultimately what we find that when the people of God pray and call out to him and trust God, God doesn't have to put a plan together. God didn't have to scurry and going, okay, 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 Hezekiah and Isaiah just, just, just called on me. Let, let me think about what I'm going to do. Uh, maybe I can come around the west side or may, maybe I can. He just sends an angel. <laughs> hey, I need you to go down and take care of something. Amen. <laughs> and the angel, And the angel dispatched by God, I wish you'd get that. The angel dispatched by God goes down and doesn't break a sweat. Kills all the mighty men of valor. <laughs> One angel kills all the mighty men. He's, I'm talking about these Syrian battle dudes. I'm telling you, research your history. They're some bad dudes. <laughs> but God just sends an angel. I love it. Unnamed angel just sends an angel down. Read with me, all right? Put in your eyes on verse 21. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down. Now, now I want you to understand. He didn't do anything magical. He just cut them down. He used their own type, whatever weaponry they chose to fight with. And he put it into the thing. And the scripture says, plainly read with me, that the Lord sent an angel who cut down not some of the mighty men. Y'all help me. Every mighty man of valor. But not just all the mighty battle warriors. Also, he cut down every leader. And after the angel cut down all the mighty warriors, he cut down all the leaders. You're talking about destroying a system here. And then he cut down every captain in the camp. You're talking about one angel cut down all these bad dudes, all the leaders, all the captains, and Sennacherib went from big boy talking against God to tuck and tail and run. And he goes home. I hope that you'll remember that word this week, shame-faced. And my prayer for you this week is that as you would walk so close to Jesus that the enemy would leave shame-faced from the ways he opposes you and your marriage and your single life and the righteous way that you're striving to live, not to please, listen, not to earn God's favor, but to please him because he does favor you, not to earn salvation, but because he's granted you salvation. I pray that as you walk with Jesus, uh, that the enemy leaves away shame-faced for trying to attack you and whisper lies to you and that you will not listen not one second to his lies. And then he tucks tail and leave shame face. So we returned shame face to his own land. He had to go back home. And he went back home, what we're going to call empty-handed. And he went, and the scripture says, and when he had gone into the temple of his God, now talk about uh, a bad situation getting worse. He just got absolutely embarrassed after tough-talking God, after threatening the people of God, after spending a long, boisterous time bragging on all of his victories. And by the way, remember, he wasn't making that up. They were, in fact, victories against the kingdoms of man. But when he came in opposition to the kingdom of God, what we find happening is a total annihilation. And so he goes home. Now, don't you know, it was a a long trip to go back to the house. Do you know you can go about a mile when you've gotten your tail kicked and it's a long journey. You ever go on somewhere on a long bus ride playing for a team, you know, a certain sport, and get your tail kicked, and it sure is a long bus ride home, isn't it? I remember leaving Abilene, Texas when I was playing for Mississippi College, and we got beat thoroughly over there, and that's a long journey home after getting your tail kicked. And so he's made the journey home, and boy, it's, I'm shamefaced. He's not big boy talking anymore. 
you know? He's quiet and he's humble. And then he goes in, read with me, and so he's going into the temple of his God. Now, I, I don't know, I can't prove this, but, but probably seeking some solace, uh, probably going into the temple of his God to, 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 to receive some strengthening, uh, to, to receive some, some, some encouragement that he's still okay, that he's got this God he's serving. And, and so because there are no other gods except the God that we, you and I, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because there are no other gods, he goes into an empty building, and in that empty building, in that empty room, in that empty God, his own children kill him there. And, man, you talk about mm, a terrible way to end uh, when, you, when you shake your fist in the face of God and oppose the kingdom and work against. And so let me just say that you and I, as we consider this, one other thing I want to just encourage you with, always make sure you be very careful about how you handle the children of God. Can I say that to you again? Would everybody look at me for just a minute? Be careful how you handle the people of God uh, because I've noticed over this 18, almost 18 years, I've noticed that people have a tendency to, to badmouth each other and talk bad about each other and slander each other, and sometimes it's this church about that church, and sometimes it's this person against that person. And what you need to be very careful of is to know that when you do that, you're opposing the children of God. And what we learn from Scripture, you ready with me? That God doesn't take kindly to us opposing his children. We're here to strengthen, to sharpen, and to encourage each other, never to be in opposition to the people of God. Y'all, tra everybody tracking with me? I'm telling you, uh, unto, unto God, I pray that you would never be in opposition to another church. Now, I'm not talking about doctrine and what's being taught. Okay, we study the truth, and we want to spend time there, and we want to let it transform our lives. But we don't, we, I, don't, I pray unto God that, my, that these people, the people God's granted me, are never running your mouth about other churches and say, we don't have time for all that nonsense. We've got a mission to live, amen? We've got work to do. We've got to put our hand to the plow. We've got to keep making disciples. Number one mission we've all been given is to make disciples, so let's stay focused on that, all right? Not be in opposition. Okay, I'm moving on. So the opposition is relentless from the enemy to the people of God. And we talked about what we needed there. We said the Lord provides victory for his people. Uh, going on into verse 22, thus the Lord saved Hezekiah. Who did? God did. God did. He's, listen, the people of God are never underdogs. Why? Because the Lord provides victory for his people. It goes on to say not only that, but... Uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib and the king, the king of Assyria and from the hand of all the others and guided them on every side. And many people brought gifts. Boy, talk about a turn of events. You know, they were seized and facing uh, 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 absolute annihilation except that God stepped in. And now they're getting gifts from everybody. Other nations are sending them gifts. And that's how God operates. Finally, in conclusion, just quickly because we're out of time. And I can't believe it. I'm surprised as you are. I want to make one final statement found in verses 24 to 26. Number three, write this in your notes. To stay in the good fight, we need to remain humble. We have to remain humble. Never forget that God saved you too. Anybody hear me out there? You know, I've told you before, we have to be careful. We get churched up sometime, look down on people, and we forget, man, God saved us, found us in a ditch, rescued us. I get so upset when people tell me I don't have a very powerful testimony. I say, you kidding me? You are dead in your trespasses. I'm talking about lost and separated from God, headed for a lake of fire 500 miles an hour, and God reached down and found you and saved you. You have an extremely powerful testimony. So then, we must remain humble. Never look down on folk where they are. You know, we're at all a different place in the journey. Now, read what happens here. Pick up with me, verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him. God did. And gave him a sign. I want you to think about that. What God did is he extended his life. It's in 2 Kings chapter 20. And you'll find 2 Kings chapter 20, I believe it's 1 through about 11, I believe, where this takes place. And God grants him 15 years on his, on his life. But we find out in verse 25, something we don't find out in the account of when he's praying. It says in verse 25, but, so God did this in verse 24, but Hezekiah, y'all help me, did not repay according to the favor shown to him. In other words, his life did not reflect the gratitude of a man who was facing certain death, but God gave him 15 more years of life. And sometimes, if, if, if we're honest, our lives don't reflect that God didn't just grant us 15 more years of life, but God granted us access into his family. 
that God didn't just grant us access to his family, but that he granted us access to himself, that we now have a one-on-one relationship with God. Wherever we are, he is. We can talk to him anytime. We don't have to meet with an assistant, and his presence is with us. And I'm telling you, we gripe about things, we complain about stuff, and we get sideways about stuff. It's because we are ungrateful about the fact that God has rescued us. And Hezekiah did the same thing. He, I'm certain for a week or two, he was so fired up like me and you were when we first got saved. You know, we ready to storm hell with a water pistol. Man, we want to tell everybody about Jesus. And then we fooled around and got around church people and got churched up. And, and, and we lost our focus. Instead of knowing that we're all falling, we all struggle and keeping our focus on Jesus and keeping on grabbing each other and pulling each other on down the line, uh, we lose focus and we get upset and we lose our gratitude. And then, let me tell you something. There's a, a very unattractive thing is somebody whose salvation was paid for by the blood of the innocent Lamb of God whose life does not reflect gratitude. Complaining, fussing, uh, envying other lives, wishing things were different, not accepting the lot God has assigned us and living it fully to the glory of God, fighting the good fight all the way to the finish line. And so what happens? Let's read. So Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Now, when you think about verse 25, is a tad bit scary for anybody else besides me. I mean, when, it, when, you, when I'm reading and the Bible says, and the wrath of God was looming, it was hanging out out there, and the wrath of God was about to be poured out on who? Hezekiah and the people. And the people. So the wrath of God is hanging out. And why? Why is it stirred up? Why is it hanging out? Why is it about to be poured out? Because of Hezekiah's pride, ingratitude for what God had done for him. And he had gotten prideful. And he began looking at himself. And I guess maybe feeling like he deserved those 15 years. I don't know. Sometimes I believe you and I look at it like we deserve to be part of the family of God. And I don't think we just wake up one day, but it's a slow forgetting of how lost we were. And how he came and found us, and now how gloriously saved we are, and that ought to just motivate us to live our lives humbly and graciously and and saying, Lord, here's my hands, here's my feet, take and use me however you want to. And so Hezekiah, man, there's the wrath of God's about to about to be poured out. But thanks be to God for what happens in verse 26. Because did you know the word of God says that if we'll if we exalt ourselves, if we get prideful, we can promise that God will humble us. He who exalts himself, Jesus said, will be humbled. But on the other hand, he who humbles himself, God, if we humble ourselves, we make the decision to remain in gratitude and realize that God did it all and God does it all, and we should just remain everly grateful that he saved us and he's living inside of us. If we'll humble ourselves in that, then he'll exalt us. And, and here's, the, here's the thing, like it's such a no-brainer. Which one would you choose? Well, if God's going to do one or the other, I don't know about you, but I'd rather God exalt me than God have to humble me, right? Because being humbled involves humiliation. And I don't know about you, but I've never been a big fan of being humiliated. Anybody else? I've never been a big fan of being humiliated. So let's just sort of finish, if we could, in verse number 26. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride that was in his heart. Isn't that be- it's a beautiful statement, you know? I think it's one of the most profound statements that could be made about a man or a woman that they, in the middle of pride, they humble themselves. It's very rare. Would y'all agree with me on that? Most time when a man or woman gets eat up with pride, ooh, there's a train wreck coming, and usually God has to humble them. But if you and I in the middle of that would humble ourselves, it's a beautiful thing because there are no perfect people, and there are going to be times I need to humble myself, and there are going to be times you need to humble yourself, and there's a daily humbling that needs to happen as I'm walking with the Lord to say, you're the Lord and I'm not. And I want to follow you, so help me today to do that. So in verse 26, the Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride that was in his heart. He and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon him. Isn't that wonderful? He repented and God relented. That's beautiful. And so today, my, 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 my humble plea with you is simply this. Stay in the good fight. There's going to be opposition, but stay in the good fight. All right? How do we do that? Number one, y'all help me. The enemy, we know, we acknowledge that the enemy is relentless to oppose the people of God. So there are four things we should do because we already know that. We're not tricked. We know there's opposition. So number one, we should fortify. What does that mean? Strengthen, secure, make sure that I'm drawing near. Number two, we should remember who is with us. There's one promise, changes everything. Number three, we should ignore the lies. And what are the lies there for? Tempt us to doubt. Just doubt him. 
Just, just is there a God? Is God really there? Do you feel him? Do you, do you sense him? Can you touch him? And so he's constantly berating you with things that make you want to doubt. Ignore those and stay anchored to the truth. And then number four, pray. Be a people of prayer. And then we find the Lord provides victory for his people. One angel. Are you kidding me? You think you and I will ever be afraid of anything? He sent one angel <laughs> and settled everything right there on the field. One angel. And it was all said and done. And then as we stay in the good fight, remember that there's not only the battle with the enemies on the outside, but there's also a battle with the enemy on the inside. And the greatest struggle with the enemy on the inside is pride. Lord, help us to remain humble and grateful for what he has done. This evening, I'd like to invite you to bow your head and your heart with me for just a moment as we consider what it is that God has spoken into our hearts this evening, okay? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to consider what it is that God has said to you. Are there some areas in our lives tonight that need to be turned over to the Lord? Have we been opposed in such a way that we're just right on the edge of giving up and throwing in the towel because life has become hard and difficult? Has the opposition of the enemy worn us down and surprised us? Somebody needs to fortify. There's some decisions you need to make tonight to draw near to God. So as you're sitting there or you're listening somewhere else, what is it God is leading you to do to fortify, strengthen, making sure you have your Bible accessible, make sure you have a set time and place that you spend time drawing near, memorizing Scripture, meditating upon it, getting stronger, fortifying. You should be reminded well that God is with you. Child of God, he's with you. Somebody tonight, the enemy's been lying to you so much. Listen, I want to do this. Somebody in this place, I feel like God's been whispering lies to you so much lately. I, I, if it's you, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody else is looking around. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Okay, I see you there, and I see you there, and I see you right there. Any others, just slip your hand. He's just been lying, whispering lies to you over and over about your demise. I see you right there. He's been telling you you're never going to make it out of this. I see you right there. He's telling you that you, this thing is going to get you, and you're not going to come out the other side, and I see your hand there. And so, Lord Jesus, would you tonight break those chains, silence the lies of the enemy. Father, we, like Hezekiah and Isaiah, cry out to you. Grant us great faith in the midst of the opposition. Remind us that you simply sent an angel. It's not a hard thing for you. When the time is right, when the time is right, remind us that joy does come in the morning. Father, tonight help us to remain humble. If in some area of our life we become prideful, Lord, would you help us now? Speak to our hearts as a father to a child. And may we tonight take it to the altar and lay it at your feet rather than having to be humbled. Thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for these people. Thank you, God, for your spirit. Now may we experience a move tonight. I pray the altar be filled with folk just talking to you. I want to say to you, church, Johnny and Beverly are already down front. They love, if you have some prayer need in your life, if you want to know how you can know Jesus as Savior and Lord, knowing that he died for you on the cross, the Son of God, and rose from the dead, that tonight, if the Spirit's drawing, you could confess him as Lord. You could turn your life over to him. They'd love to help you with that. I'll be down in just a moment. But I pray that as the Spirit draws, you'd come. Father, move now, I pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen.